Amen. You can be seated. Thank you so much again for joining us in worship. Children, you can be released. And as they're making their way out, just so the kids know, the classes are being combined this morning. We had some uh, leaders out of uh, country and then some came up sick. And so thanks to Reuben and Megan who are combining those classes to lead all the kids together. So grateful for them. Be praying for them while we're in here. Um, and, and thank you for your prayers. As many of you know, last week I had the opportunity to go to North Africa with another couple, uh, Rebecca and Joel Hines. And we were able to go visit our uh, missionaries who were serving there in country so grateful for that time. I'm going to give a short update after the service when we can cut the live stream to be able to kind of share a little bit about that. We're going to do a longer kind of update on that trip next Sunday because Joel and Rebecca are continuing to travel through Europe at the moment. And so they'll be here with us and I want you to be able to hear from them. But so grateful for that time and, and anxious to be able to tell you and help connect you with what God is doing there. So this morning, we are continuing in our series through the names of God. Now, my prayer throughout this series is, is really my prayer is that you would be able to connect your own story and experiences with the attributes of God that are revealed through his names. There's one true God in whom we place our hope, who is infinitely glorious and whose different names help us understand and trust in God more fully as we experience him in his attributes. And so that's my prayer is that we would be able to connect with that. We started in week one looking at the name Yahweh, Moses, when, when you feel lost, this sense of, of don't belong, a misfit in the land where everybody else has a place, but all you can see is, is your failures and you doubt the future. And then God appears and he says, I am the great I am. He declares his holiness. He offers belonging. He is the God who sees and hears, who rescues and restores. This is who God is. And then we continued with the name El Shaddai, God Almighty. That when your desire for obedience is confronted with all your failures, when years and decades pass as you wait on the Lord and all you see is your own brokenness and failures, the list growing longer and longer as you wait for these yet unfulfilled promises of God in your life. And then God intervenes and he shows himself to be God Almighty. That in your brokenness, he is worthy and sufficient to be your comfort. That in your waiting and in that longing, he is sufficient to be your strength. And that in your sorrow, he can be your satisfaction. This is who God is as El Shaddai. We looked at the name Yahweh, Sidkenu, that the Lord is our righteousness. When we look at, at, at the story of our lives, the, the failures, unsuccessful, even in our obedience and the culture around us distorting the truth as right and wrong to each individual's preference, but then you bear the, the weight and the consequences of other people's decisions. 
and we begin to look at ourselves, are, are we better than other people? Is, is our hope just in people changing? Is, is my hope in that I'm just simply better than other people? And we come to realize that the Lord, Yahweh, He is our righteousness. That our hope is not in people changing. Our hope is in the promised Savior whose personal righteousness is applied to us through faith in the promised Messiah, Jesus. Last week, you looked at the name Yahweh Rapha, the Lord is our healer with Justin. And then today, we're going to add a fifth name. But as we prepare our hearts to, to consider this fifth name of God, I want us to consider three words in, in, the, in a personal application and in this cultural moment that I believe are, are critical and that are presently being challenged in our culture. Identity, belonging, and purpose. Like, think about identity. Who am I? It's a question that we can think of as teenagers, right? That, that we wrestle with, like, who am I? Like, but we continue to wrestle with what defines me? When I introduce myself to someone, what do I want them to know about me? It's name, is it occupation? I'm married, I'm single, I have kids. This is my job. This is what I do. How do you want to be known? What is it? That is that sign above your head that says, this is who I am and how you define yourself. To what do you belong? Who are we? What group are, are you part of? To, to belong, is it university? Like in our neighborhood, we have the, the University of Florida signs. We have the Florida State University signs. We have the Bulldog signs. And we have flags outside the houses so they know what team we root for. Is it nationality, sexual orientation? We have flags for everything. To identify, this is who I belong with. These are my people. To what purpose? What's the point of our lives? Like, we all think about this. I think, at best, I have about 30 years left. What do I want to give my life to? What's its purpose? What defines me? And what do I want to give my life to? These are the questions that I believe each individual at a fundamental level wrestles with. And today's passage is going to speak to those three areas, to our identity, our belonging, and our purpose. So I want to encourage you, turn with me to Exodus chapter 17. I want to pray for our time, and then we're going to dive in together. Lord, I thank you for your word, that in a world with opinions and thoughts and lots of people speaking, I thank you that we can come to your word that is true and authoritative in our lives. Lord, that it is trustworthy and it is good and it is worthy to lead and guide and correct us this morning. And so I pray that, that you would give us ears to hear. Lord, not with our own understanding, but Lord, give us your eyes. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see. 
And Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I've done in the past couple weeks, I want to kind of start with a bit of of context. What is it, before we get into what this name of God is, what's happening in the surroundings? Because as we looked at in week one, God's people were in slavery. For 400 years, they were slaves in Egypt. Now here's the thing. Here's what tends to happen in my mind. I hear 400 years, and I think that's a lot, and I move on, right? But let's just put it in perspective for a moment. Imagine when the U.S. was founded, 1776, signing the Declaration of Independence. At that moment, we were slaves, not citizens of the U.S., slavery. Do you know your your ancestors from 1776? Their names, like you're thinking, my my great, 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 I don't even know how many greats grandfather, grandmother, like there's a history there. Now imagine you're still in slavery and you will be for another 153 years. Meaning your slaves, your children, your children's children, and their children and beyond will continue to be slaves. That's what 400 years looks like. And then all of a sudden, God speaks to Moses in a burning bush And he's going to say, set my people free. And then all of a sudden, their identity is going to change. After 400 years, only known themselves as slaves. Assuming that's how it's always been and it always will be. And all of a sudden, God appears and he's like, it's not going to be like that anymore. And he's going to set them free. And then they're free. We don't belong to Egypt anymore. Then in whom do we belong? The people watched as Yahweh systematically dismantled the plurality of false gods in Egypt, one by one with ten plagues that ultimately, supernaturally, freed them from slavery. And it was leading. God led the people. A cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. And he says, I'm going to call you not just in a new identity, but to a sense of belonging. A nation trapped between a rock and a hard place, between the sea and an advancing army. And you know what they did? They trusted in God and they believed. No. It says they grumbled. They, they complained. They cried out. <laughs> like, really? You're gonna, you brought us out of Egypt to here? Now we're going to die here? What's the point? Why didn't you just leave us there? They were vulnerable and scared, and God supernaturally made a way for the nation to walk through the waters on dry land. And then they kept walking. And then they got thirsty, like really thirsty, like the dehydration, you know, like when, you, when your muscles begin to cramp and dehydration begins to set in and you're, you're irritable and you feel weak and you have a headache and they grumbled, really? What are we going to drink, Moses? You brought us out here. We could have just died in Egypt. I would rather have lived as a slave than die as a free man. 
And then they find water. And it's bitter. This is what Justin talked about last week. Probably had potassium, causing like violent diarrhea. You're like, really, God? This is your provision. Bitter water. Gee, thanks. And God shows himself to be Yahweh Rapha, that God is the healer. And so they keep walking. Now they're hungry. We're like, great, I'm not dehydrated anymore, but you know, my belly's kind of empty. We're going to die here from hunger. I would rather be back in Egypt. Do you see the pattern? And God provides food, not just like a pantry full of food, but food for today. And if you try to put the food in your pantry and save it for tomorrow, you open it up and it's full of worms. And so you have to wait again. Do you see God was teaching the nation who he was and who they were following? To trust in him, not just for a moment so they could walk their own way, but to trust in him moment by moment. And God provided supernaturally. This is, as we read through Exodus, what we read. And then you know what happens? Now they're thirsty again. Like, great, I have food, but now I'm thirsty. We're going to die of dehydration again. And they're like, really, give us water to drink. Are we going to die of thirst? And this is what it says before the verses we're going to look at today in verses 8 down. Look at verse 7 in Exodus 17. Moses named the plate Massa and Meribah because the Israelites complained and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? He names the place. Massa means testing, Meribah means quarreling. You're testing God, you're quarreling, you're complaining. And God provides water as he instructs Moses to strike a rock with the staff of God and water comes from it. But look at the question that they're asking. Is the Lord among us or not? Have you ever asked that question? Like, I kind of thought when I trusted in Jesus, things would go smooth. I, I didn't think I would have this illness. I didn't think I would have these troubles with work. I didn't think these things would be my reality. Is is God with us or not? Because I'm following him and step after step, I feel like I'm kind of hitting a rock in a hard place. Is the Lord among us or not? But God is the one who freed them from slavery. It was God who protected them from the advancing Egyptian army. It was God who provided for them water and food. It didn't mean the journey would be easy. And then we get to today's story. That God is calling a people to himself. A people to belong to him, to walk with him, but I want you to see what that meant and what that looked like. In verse 8 of Exodus chapter 17, at Rephidim, Amalek came and fought against Israel. A simple statement, but we're given a little bit more information in Deuteronomy 25. It says this Remember what the Amalekites did to you on the journey after you left Egypt? Do you remember? 
they met you along the way, and they attacked all your stragglers from behind. When you were tired and weary, they did not fear God. So, are you tracking with it? God sets them free. They're in danger. They're thirsty. They're hungry. They're thirsty. They're tired. They're weary. They're following God. They're full of doubts. Is God really with us? And then those who are particularly weary, those who are weak and straggling behind, they get attacked from a people that do not fear God. This is the situation. The emotional fatigue, the the spiritual doubts. Who are we? What is God doing here? Can he be trusted? And then Moses, in verse 9, said to Joshua, Select some men for us and go fight against Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the hilltop with God's staff in my hand. It's likely that I want you to imagine as Joshua gathers the men there in the valley, they were most likely gathered based on the tribe that they were from. If you remember, there's 12 tribes to the nation of Israel, and they had a banner, a flag that represented each of the tribes that comes from Jacob's blessing on the different children from Genesis 49. And there was this banner that that the people would gather around if you were from Levi, Judah, Benjamin, the different tribes of Israel. In fact, in Numbers 2, it says the Israelites are to camp under their respective banners beside the flag of their ancestral families. They are to camp around the tent of meeting at a distance from it. It was normal for the different tribals, the the different 12 tribes, to be gathered based on the particular family that they came from within the nation. Many scholars believe that then in the same way when Joshua was gathering the men to fight, they would have no doubt been gathered based on these banners. Moved so you would go and then gather around with your own people. And that these aren't soldiers. Right? These were slaves. That's all they had known. That they have no experience They have no training for warfare. This is the first time that they have seen battle since they've left Egypt. They were trespassers, traveling through a land of fierce enemies with their vulnerable families fighting for their survival. I think about, like the the night before, did they get any sleep as they waited together before the sun rose? As they kissed their wife and children goodbye, would they ever see them again? They were headed to battle, not just for for land, but for their own survival, for the protection of of their, their families. They were going to battle. And they had no idea what awaited them the next day. In verse 10, it says that Joshua did as Moses had told him, and he fought against Amalek. And while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Here's what I want us to picture in our minds. That there is a a physical battle that is happening 
in the valley. It it can be seen, it can be understood, but there is a spiritual battle that is happening on the mountaintop. As Joshua is fighting in the valley, Moses, Aaron, and Hur are battling spiritually on the mountaintop. Joshua gathered his men and they physically fought against Amalek. Weapons clanging together. The piercing, the, the, the bleeding, the desperation mixed with sweat and blood for your own survival is happening in the valley. But there was another battle happening on the mountaintop. As Moses climbs the mountain. He raises above his head the staff of God. A stick. A stick that he had used when he was a shepherd with sheep in the deserts of Midian. A stick that once used to be the staff of Moses. Until Moses encountered the great I Am at that burning bush, And Yahweh turned that staff into a serpent until God chose to use this tool of Moses for his own purposes and his own glory that he would use to bring about the plagues on Egypt, that he would use to to part the Red Sea, that he would use to, to draw water from a rock. Verse 11, while Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. But whenever he put his hand down, Amalek prevailed. The battle in the valley was visible, physical, brutal. It could be seen, it could be heard, he could watch the movements of people. But the battle on the mountaintop was invisible. It was spiritual. Yet, here's the thing. It was the battle on the mountaintop that decided the victory of the battle in the valley. Think about this. As Moses held up his hands, Israel prevailed. But as his hands fell, then Amalek prevailed. I think sometimes I'm reminded that there are battles that we face. Like, there's battles today in your life that as you leave here, you're thinking, this is what weighs heavy on your heart. And they feel physical and, and raw and brutal. And yeah, 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 we know we need to pray. Yeah, 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 we know. But there's kind of this doubt, does prayer really change anything? Does worship change anything? What if we try harder? What if we fight harder? But here's the reality. If Joshua and his men fought harder or not, it didn't matter. What mattered was God being the one to move. And sometimes I think what happens is we just think, man, if I do more, if I fight harder, is God with us or isn't he? And we begin to doubt his presence and we begin to use human effort. And the reality is... Sometimes God is leading us to depend on him in prayer, to lift our voices in worship and know that we do not have control to change some things. 
And it's not merely to try harder and work harder, but he's bringing us to a place where we realize it doesn't depend on me, it depends on God. And the victory will be won by him and him alone. But we just think, man, if I do more. And the reality is the battle was won on the mountaintop. In the spiritual battle, not just in the valley. The outcome was in the valley. But the battle was fought in the spiritual realm. But then it says, so we don't misplace our hope. In verse 12 it says, when Moses' hands grew heavy, they took a stone and and put it under him and he sat down on it. And then Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and one on the other, so that his hands remained steady until the sun went down. See, just so we know, Joshua was not the source of Israel's victory in the valley. And Moses was not the source of victory on the mountaintop. He got weak. His legs gave way. His arms became tired. God and God alone was the source of the victory. Moses was frail. He couldn't do it alone. He needed others coming alongside him. And here's the thing. The victory was not immediate. It's not as though Moses just said, okay, let me say a prayer and sing a few worship songs and then we'll go fight the battle. It took all day long until the sun was setting. All day long he cried out. All day long he had to have his arms lifted up to show that it was not by their might and not by their power, but by God and God alone that their victory was secure. And others had to hold his arms up. And this experience, it was meant to teach a nation a truth of God. This experience was intended to to teach Moses something, to teach Joshua something personally, intimately, that they would know. In verse 13, It says, so Joshua defeated Amalek and his army with the sword. Why did he be victorious? Because God. And notice then in verse 14 what it says. So the Lord then said to Moses, write this down on a scroll as a reminder and recite it to Joshua. I will completely blot out the memory of Amalek under heaven. He was like, Joshua, I don't want you to be confused because Joshua would be the next leader. I don't want you to think that it was just by your own might, by your savvy on the battlefield, with the power of your own sword, that the victory was won. I am the one who gave you the victory. Trust in me for your provision and for your protection and for your identity. They come from me. And to Moses... In verse 15, Moses built an altar and named it, The Lord is my banner. Yahweh Nisi. This is what it means. The Lord is my banner. Like the 12 tribal banners that that would gather the different groups of Israel. 
gathering them together, people into groups for the ensuing battle, Moses declares that there is one banner under which they all gather, one banner that unites a nation of people together belonging to God. There is one banner that gives purpose and direction to our lives, and that banner is Yahweh. This is the banner that draws us together. This is the name to which we belong. This is our shared identity that we belong to. This is under whose banner we submit and that leads and guides us. The Lord is our banner. He is the one that gathers us. He is the one that we will follow. And God ultimately revealed himself as the great I am, as Yahweh Nissi, that the Lord is our banner in the person and work of Jesus Christ. The promised Messiah who was clothed in humanity, obedient to death, victorious in his resurrection and glorious in his return. But here's what I want us to consider this morning. What does this mean? Like, what do we need to be reminded of this morning that the Lord is our banner? What are you wrestling with this morning that this name might be leading and convicting and correcting and guiding your steps? To who or what do you belong? It's that first question of identity and belonging. Like if you were to stand here and you would say, this is the flag under which I stand. This is the banner over my life. This is what I want you to know about me. Is it, is it a college flag? The university you went to? Sports you, you played in high school or, or college? The, the education, the, the degree that you earn, the diploma with that name on it that gives a sense of value in identity, the connections it's provided you. Is it your sports team? You know, for, for, for a lot of guys, it's like, oh, the, the, this fan base that I'm part of cheering on your, your favorite athletes, those who have winning teams, unlike me, like, you're like... These are my people. You can wear the jersey and, and other fans will come up to you. There's a sense of belonging and identity and group. Is it a company logo? Like it seems crazy, right? But it's true. Apple fanboy, Android user. <laughs> Sorry. Gucci, Louis Vuitton, you know that the bag we carry giving us a sense of value, the car we drive, the little plastic logo of Tesla, BMW, Mercedes, whatever it might be, giving you a sense of value, prestige, identity. Is it your sexual orientation? It's interesting. We see it all during Pride Month. The different expressions of gender that we see in our culture each have their own flag beneath which they identify themselves. A national flag. 
the red, white, and blue. Christianity clothed in patriotism. What banner would you stand beneath this morning? Each of these that I have mentioned would leave you empty, leave you defeated, divided, isolated, and alone. They are false identities. And I think it's something we have to be extremely careful of in today's culture because everything is vying for you to give them your identity. John 10.10 says that a thief, Satan, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. These three words, steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus has come that you may have life and have it in abundance. There is an enemy that seeks to steal your identity. To tangle you up in lies and deception. To give yourself and your identity and to place your life under the banner of anything other than God himself. To steal that. To kill your soul. That as you wrongfully place your identity in anything other than God, it will suck the life from you. Your soul will be drained to ultimately bring about your own destruction until you find yourself so isolated, so alone, so discouraged and defeated that you feel like you are and have nothing. But we were created for more. This is what it means when we look at the Lord is my banner. He's my identity. He's my belonging. He's my purpose. That this banner of Christ, look at what it means. That we can stand under all these other things. Whatever it may be that I had mentioned before. Or we can stand under the banner of Christ. And look at what it says then about who you are. In John 1.12 it says, But to all who did receive him, to all who have received Christ, God gave them the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name. There is only one banner which unites people, which fulfills and leads to victory and a life and life in abundance. And that is the banner of Jesus Christ. That I am not what I do. I am not what I have. I am a child of God because of who Jesus is. Because Jesus is the great I am. Because he died on the cross for my sins. Because I have believed in him. I am a child of God. That's my identity. Not in what I do. Not in what I have. Not in things that will ultimately just rob and steal and destroy you. And rather than taking from us our identity in Christ, says that we are adopted into his family. We have belonging in his family. That I am his child. That I have belonging. Truly, I tell you, it says in John 5, 24, anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me that person has eternal life and will not come under judgment, but has passed from death to life. See, rather than death, rather than destruction, we receive life and life eternal. We have belonging under the banner of 
Jesus Christ. That's the banner under which we gather this morning. This is the the banner under which we have our identity. This is the the banner under which we belong. And it's the, the banner under which we have our purpose and direction in life. Romans 12.2 says this, Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. God invites us to be transformed, to enjoy Him forever and to walk in His will and purposes for our life. The question is this. What banner do you stand beneath this morning? Can, can we sing and proclaim together that, that God is our banner? It means he is our identity. He is what unites us together in our gathering. Or are you giving your identity to something else? And you feel its weight taking from you sucking the life from you. We are called and God is inviting us to stand beneath the banner of Christ. Let's pray.